When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Rachel Hampton. And I'm Lizzie O'Leary. And you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it, Slate's podcast about internet culture. And we are joined by none other than reporter extraordinaire Lizzie O'Leary. Lizzie, welcome. I'm so excited you're here. (laughs) Rachel, hello. Hello. It's very nice to see you. I feel like I say once a week that I'm talking to one of my favorite people at Slate. But I'm also literally never lying because I'm so excited that you're here. Oh, Lizzie is the host of What Next TBD, a twice-weekly show about tech power in the future. Previously, she created and hosted Marketplace Weekend. She's reported for CNN, Bloomberg News, The New York Times Magazine. She's a contributing writer for The Atlantic. But most importantly, she's very funny and has the cutest dog named Mara. Who you have helped me walk. Who I have helped you walk, which I think is really the most important information I could give our listeners. She loves you. Ugh, I love to hear that. I also love to hear that you've taken time out of your extremely busy schedule to come talk with me. I also think it's very funny that this is the first crossover event because I feel like our shows operate in like very similar spaces. Yes. My first question is, what do you think of as the differences between What Next TBD and ICYMI? Okay, so actually what I was going to say is there's a thing that happens often. I will put something in our like editorial channel Slack and say, this is really interesting, but I feel like it's probably more an ICYMI story <laughs> than a story for us. So the most recent example was a piece that was written about... TikTok and like the wars on TikTok about sleep training for babies. Ooh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was really interesting and really grabby. And every parent I know was like fighting about it on Twitter. <laughs> but then I had this moment that I was like, no, this is a cultural thing. This is about how we spend our time or our brain power on social media and on the internet. And I don't think it's a story for TBD. And I feel like that's maybe because it was not, it's not about the company. It's not about the levers of power. It's more about what people are choosing to do with their time and their interest. I think that's the distinction. And sometimes it's the like, I know it when I see it thing. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. I also feel like we should probably start coordinating more because I feel like we have the exact same (laughs) discussion in our (laughs) editorial channel, which is, this is really interesting. But I think this might be better for TBD. (laughs) Please send them our way. (laughs) Definitely, definitely. Okay, second question. Who has the better acronym? You guys do, because it makes me think of yogurt. (laughs) I see why am I does? Or TBD? (laughs) Yeah, it's TCBY. There used to be a frozen yogurt chain. I'm dating myself from frozen yogurt chains very big when I was when I was a teen. <laughs> wow. I feel like the yogurt chain of my youth was pink berry. Oh, so. yeah. See, no. I'm talking about the 90s when you were born. It is indeed the decade I was born. It's true. I wonder how much of our audience thinks of yogurt whenever they hear, me, hear one of us say, it's I see why am I. 
as long as you agree that we have the better acronym, it really doesn't matter the reasoning for it. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I agree. Well, now that we're in accord, I think it's time to actually get on with the reason that I have you on the show, which is that we are introducing a new segment tentatively called Ask a Tech Reporter. We may come up with a better name at some point. We may not. That's the joy of the show. I'm sure many of you ICUI, my listeners, will be surprised to learn that despite the fact that I spend most of my life online, and that is not an exaggeration, I do not understand a lot of the actual technology that underpins our everyday experience. If you ask me to explain the cultural context and impacts of Super Hulak, I got you. I have a seminar. I have a dissertation for you. If you ask me to explain how blockchain works, I would probably start crying. Luckily, y'all don't have to listen to me cry because we have Lizzie here to talk about the current thing I don't understand, which is AI-generated art. How does it work? Is it really art? Is it ultimately bad for society? All these questions and more will be answered after a short break. being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And we're back with Lizzie O'Leary. Okay, y'all just had a really great episode on AI-generated art, which I am just eternally fascinated and bemused by. My first question is, what is your favorite piece of AI art that you've seen recently? Okay, it's one that's not public. Oh. But it was one that my producer Evan and I were making because we were messing around with AI art generators in sort of practice for our episode about AI-generated art. And he put in a prompt that was like, tech news producer working on a podcast (laughs) in Washington, D.C. from his home, which Evan gave the incredible title, Dicking Around in Mid-Journey. And it is a kind of (laughs) receding hairline white man with a beard in... (laughs) Definitely in a bathrobe in one of these pictures. There are four of them. He's in a bathrobe. He's in a cardigan, a couple of like dirty looking t-shirts, and he looks sort of bereft okay. and occupied with podcasty things. And like, I would say his face looks sort of like Ginsburg from Mad Men, but also in an uncanny valley way, like he doesn't really have ears. It's very strange. I love that. I'm just trying to picture this in my head. I can send it to you. Thank you so much. <laughs> So this was created by Midjourney, right? Yes. I think most people have probably heard about Dolly, which was released in early 2021 and went viral this summer. What are like the big players in the AI art making world? So there's Dolly, there's Dolly 2, and, and Dolly 2 is like actually commercialized in some of these spaces. So you can you can pay to use it. There's Stable Diffusion, there's Midjourney. Those are like the biggies and there are a couple of others. Definitely. So how does this work? It works like pretty much any other machine learning tool, any other AI tool. So it trains itself. You're training an AI on billions of images. It's looking at them. It's taking them in. Mm -hmm. It's beginning to understand, like, this word, producer, apparently, according to Midjourney, is a middle-aged white man with no hair. (laughs) And it is slowly kind of 
compiling a data set in its quote-unquote brain that corresponds to those words. They get better the more images they are trained on. And so that's why Dolly 2 is better than the original Dolly. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. also about computing and processing speed. So like the more powerful a processor you have, the better it's going to be because the more times Mm. it can kind of upload these images. When it creates this image of a producer, of, of your producer, how does it know that that is like a producer? Like, how does it start to get closer to this idea of a producer? Is someone saying, yes, this fits my idea? Yeah, both slowly and with like massive amounts of data. I texted it to you, by the way. You can look at it if you want to. I can't wait to see this. I'm going to look at this right now. (laughs) Wow, you really got the receding hairline part of this perfectly. They all look so sad as well. Don't they? (laughs) Which makes me wonder why (laughs) this AI tool think that it's so sad to make a podcast. I don't know. But uh, but okay, so this example of our like random white dude podcaster man, mm-hmm. it shows you both what AI can do and what it can't do, mm-hmm. right? We are a bunch of women making a podcast. I'm a white woman, you're a black woman, like, but mid-journey, here's podcast producer and it thinks white dude with receding hairline. So an algorithm and an AI art production is only as good as what goes into it. If that's the kind of images it sees and it crawls on the internet and gets, that's all it's going to make. It can't think beyond that. It can't say like, wait a minute, that's not who's producing this podcast. Did you spend any time yourself just playing around in any of these AI art making tools? I did. I made a dog wearing a hat in like a 1960s mob (laughs) style... I don't know. It's all very strange. And I think what's fun about it, it looks like you got really high and talked to David Lynch. And then, <laughs> like, via a game of telephone, he drew what he heard from you. From a cultural perspective, I kind of really love AI art because it makes either incredible memes. Drew Harwell, who you spoke to, mentioned a piece that reimagined Bernie Sanders in the Mad Max universe, yeah. which is Chef's Kiss. That one's amazing. Incredible. But I've also seen a lot of the people that I followed are people of color, and they were using these tools to like imagine themselves in the world of artists like John Singer Sargent, whose subjects were traditionally white. Which I don't see a downside here. Mm-hmm. Is there a downside here? Like this can't just be good, right? I think there's a bunch of downsides but two main ones the the example that i used artistically Mm -hmm. in the show was the the work of kara walker kara walker's work obviously plays on tropes right on racist imagery and especially you know and like sexualized imagery of black women kara walker doing that is doing it knowing the cultural context Mm -hmm. satirizing yeah she's satirizing it right An AI taking in a bunch of Kara Walker and spitting it back out would not be satirizing. You would just get some really messed up stuff. Yeah. (laughs) And so that's where I think it lacks the nuance of a human. And maybe it's possible after they're trained on millions of more data sets that they will get some of that nuance. But I'm very skeptical about that. So that's like the art downside. And then the other downside is you and I work with an incredible art team that makes imagery for us. And it's funny and it's knowing. And that is where people can potentially lose their jobs to AI. Because some executive says like, well, the algorithm doesn't need health insurance. Let's just plug in some stuff to the prompt and spit it back out. 
I mean, what you're saying about Kara Walker and the kind of art part of it does make me think, like, these tools are incredibly good at mocking specific styles. So you can put, like, Renoir or, like, an Impressionist painting and get something that looks like it could have been made by them. But the context of Impressionism was this kind of reaction to, like, classical art. Like, that's the context it's made in, which means that you can make something that looks like that, but it's not really an Impressionist painting. I mean, kind of getting to that, you spoke to Drew about a creator who won an arts competition with AI-generated art. And there's like a lot of questions right now about whether or not pushing a button on a computer really constitutes art, even though you could say the same about, and people did say the same about photography. I'm curious as to where do you come down on this debate? This was also, by the way, like the only episode that I've ever done on my show where I got to use my art history minor, which was extremely exciting to me. It's just been, <laughs> it's just been like sitting on the shelf for 25 years, but... I think I come down on the side of it is art, but I think it lacks some ineffable thing. And I'd say that's not a very satisfactory answer. So the person that that you're talking about, Jason Allen, was this guy who created this beautiful piece called Theater d'Opera Special. He entered it in the Colorado State Fair and he, he won the, I think it's like digitally altered photography or digital photography subcategory. So he wasn't competing with like line drawing or painting or whatever. And they didn't know that it was mid-journey at the start. But afterwards, Drew talked to Jason. He talked to some of the judges and they're like, yeah, no, this is still art. I mean, it's still beautiful. It still evokes an interesting response. And it does. Like, it's a really cool piece. But I don't know. I think I might have to do like a blind taste test for myself. (laughs) What would this blind taste test entail for you? Well, looking at two things, one made by a human and one made by an AI, and like seeing if I could tell Mm. or seeing if if I thought they were both beautiful or whatever it is. Yeah. Because I think I'm biased just by knowing that that thing was made by AI. Right. You go into it knowing that. That is true. Would you ever hang a piece of AI generated art in your home? Not yet. I mean, no, I feel the same. I feel the same. You know what? Okay. So, I mean, for me, it's emotional. Like, my late stepfather was a painter. I have his paintings in my house, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're like a piece mm-hmm. of him. But I think I would also, I'm a little creeped out still. Yeah, I get that. It's interesting because I have like a lot of digital art. Like the paintings I have in my office right now are digital art, which means that they were made like on like a tablet or something. They're kind of mm-hmm. like collage style, but they were still made by a human, but they're also not, you know, painted in like the classical style. And so it's so interesting to think about like what constitutes art when the person who won the art competition spent something like 80 hours like refining that yeah he spent a lot of time working on this stuff right like it wasn't just spit out 1960s dog in a purple hat he really spent time working on the thing yes an ai made it but also he did too What do you think is, like, the next frontier of this debate? Like, I feel like right now we're kind of in debate 1.0, which is, is this art? Well, I think there's the jobs thing. I actually think we're going to have this conversation about music, too. Ooh. Which is a whole other thing, right? Like, yeah, that's why I think this ends up being a sort of profound debate, because these things are emotional. They speak to whatever kind of mystical thing humans love about creating stuff and i don't know can an ai make a beautiful piece of music probably probably i mean that reminds me of the debate around autotune which i feel like people are just now starting to accept Mm -hmm. as an actual musical tool so i can't imagine what happens once you add in like an ai made this beat (laughs) i mean they're working on it right now it is happening it's just not happening at a widespread scale yet i can't wait for those wars i'm just gonna sit back and 
laugh as T-Pain does now. <laughs> All right, we need to take a short break, but we will be back with Lizzie, who's going to answer even more of my burning tech adjacent questions. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, y'all. Hope you're enjoying today's show. If this is your first time listening to ICYMI, then welcome. We are thrilled to have you here. In case you missed it, we make that joke every single week. And our show comes out twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays. So make sure you never miss an episode like this past Wednesdays, which was all about Harry Styles' internet history. And yes, we explain the don't worry, darling drama. And darling, we're a little bit worried. You don't want to miss it. And we're back with Lizzie. Before the break, we talked about AI-generated art. And now I have some rapid-fire questions that I have mostly kept to myself because I didn't want to seem stupid. But now I'm just going to bite the bullet. Hit me. (laughs) Are you ready? Yes. (laughs) Okay, number one. The ghost of Madison somewhere is yelling at me. The answer is no. But is the TikTok algorithm listening to me? No, no, no. No. Are you sure? Yes. Are you positive? Well, no, I mean, am I positive? <laughs> no, because it's, it, I can't tell you exactly what ByteDance is doing, right? <laughs> yes. It's not listening to you, but it's taking every other single piece of data you're giving it. You might not think that you're watching one thing a fraction of a second longer than another thing, but you are, and it knows. So what's scarier, that or them listening to me? <laughs> I mean, I guess it's kind of the same thing. Like, no, technically it's not listening to you. But yes, it's listening to every other signal you're sending it. Wow. If only I could find a man who did that, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, second question. Why are Instagram ads so good? Because they're also listening to you. That's what I thought. That's what I I thought. As soon as I think I want a new sweater, I get an ad for a new sweater. (laughs) No, you did. Okay, so it's not listening to you, but it's the same thing, right? Like, let's say it's not even in your Instagram, but you open a browser and you looked at a sweater and then it gave you an ad and you kind of actually hovered over that ad. You clicked on that ad and you thought about for a second. That data is all being collated, right? Like everybody is harnessing that data. And then it's like, let's make Rachel buy a sweater on Instagram. (laughs) And it's coming for you. Wow. I hope they're singing that song as they are taking my data from me. (laughs) But you can juice your algorithm, too, which is really fun. By juicing your algorithm, I mean that you can kind of fake direct it to certain things. And I'll give you like a horrifying example. So this happened to me on Instagram. I got served some reel about a woman. She was talking about her toddler. And I naively opened it and it was like this horrible story about how her toddler died and then I kept getting those oh no because I had watched it for a long time right so like they knew the watch time that's like a lot of engagement so then I had to get it to go away so to get it to go away you click on other stuff you engage with content that is completely different So you're getting just that. Like, house renovation stuff is a great way to clear your palate. It resets. This reminds me that for some reason on TikTok, not for some reason now, I know on TikTok I always get these, like, 
Karen videos where like a white woman is in some way like bothering a person of color in a public space. And I'm like, I don't actually want to see this. But also when it crosses my feed, I'm like, I want to make sure this person's okay. So I have to watch the end of the video. And now I'm in a terrible feedback loop. Right. Yeah. Not to get really incredibly dark. That is also how people can end up like unintentionally radicalized because various algorithms serve them recommended things that are similar. YouTube's algorithm does this. Yes. YouTube is like a prime example of you watch one Jordan Peterson and it just like opens the floodgates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, we love to get unintentionally dark on this show. It's just it's the undercurrent of the internet, honestly. <laughs> So this leads into the next question, which is, is there any way to not give away my data to companies? Because I'm kind of tired of thinking about it. Yes, there is. It's hard. So it's a question of like how much it matters to you and whether you want Instagram to find you the right sweater. Oh, Lizzie. <laughs> so you can, can you can go and go into all your privacy settings and clear basically everything. I have done that with my, my just basic Google browsing history, which means that I get nothing helpful via Google. I get really weird suggested things. You can also use different browsers, right? You don't have to use Chrome or Safari. You know, Firefox is like the one that a lot of privacy conscious users use, but it's hard. I mean, the, you know, I've talked about this a lot in terms of like reproductive freedom, period trackers, that kind of information. Like just if you don't want to be tracked, turn it off or don't use it because everything is tracked. Yeah, we had an episode about that, too. I think the episode is literally called Your Period Tracker is Not Your Friend because of... It is not your friend. It's not your friend. It's really frustrating, though, that it's down to the individual person to have to think about whether or not they're being spied on at any given moment just so they can go on Instagram and see their friend's wedding photos. I, th- I think a lot of us used to assume that there was some type of privacy by just by being in the crowd, who cares if I post stupid pictures on Facebook if my employer is looking at them used to be the the argument now it's like no 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 it's not that it's it is it's watch time it's use time it's every single tiny grain of information okay now for the most important question is there any actual use for NFTs because <laughs> People have explained this to me multiple times. I generally understand what an NFT is. Good for you. I don't understand. I mean, I don't understand how it works, but I don't understand why you would want one. Why does it do? <laughs> Everyone's going to get mad at me. No. I mean, as far as I can tell, no. They're digital <laughs> beanie babies. No. Pretty. Useless. <laughs> Except that, like, all money, right? All things we give value. If we agree that they have a value, then they have a value. Like, money is a collective fiction, so therefore, Mm. we've all agreed. So you're saying if I personally refuse to buy into NFTs as a concept, I can single-handedly stop them from becoming a thing? I am not saying that, Rachel. I am saying, (laughs) I am in fact saying the complete opposite of that, which is you single-handedly might not buy into NFTs, but if I think they have value and, you know, someone else agrees with me, then great. Ugh. I know. I know. I mean, I think this is like NFTs, crypto, all of it. But like, so is the stock market, right? We're like, yes, I agree to participate in a collective delusion. Yeah. None of the collective delusions are even even fun. Like, (laughs) none of them are fun. Yeah. They don't really do it for me either, but. 
All right, so now to turn the microphone back on to me. Recently, you asked me, what the fuck is baby core? And it was one of my favorite questions I've received in a very long time. Do you have any other questions like that for me? Because I love answering these questions. Okay, so my my here's one of my questions. What is the, oh no, oh no, that, where, what is that? Where did it come from? Because now there's like a video of my child running around to it. A babysitter of another kid made a thing of the three of them playing, and it's really funny, but I'm also like, wait, what? So the oh no song, which goes like, but it actually comes from the song, Remember Walking in the Sand, which was written by producer, songwriter George Shadow Moore, and recorded by iconic girl group, the Shangri-Las, in 1964. So it's actually very, it's like, not new. It was apparently written on a dare, but it ended up charting at number five on the Billboard Hot 100, which is my favorite kind of story, which is, I did this on a lark and now I'm famous. It has since been covered by Aerosmith, has been sampled endless times, including by electronic music group Creepa, which is probably the version you've heard. And everyone else has heard. So it first started trending on TikTok around fall of 2020, which makes sense. The vibes were off. Never have I more felt in my life, oh no, than in fall of 2020. (laughs) (laughs) And since then, the version, Peepa's version, has been used in more than 19.7 million videos. But... The real question of like why has this gone viral on TikTok is that it's perfect for TikTok in that it's a perfect length. The song length is about a minute on TikTok, so you can use pretty much the entire video. There's always the chance that sometimes people don't use long enough songs in their videos, so then you just have the end that's set to dead silence, and that's really just kind of a turnoff for a lot of people. So this is perfect. It has really great comedic value in that as soon as you hear those opening notes, you know something's going to happen by the end of the video. So it usually gets people to stop scrolling. As soon as they oh, hear those notes, they're like... So it's like a, it's like a little mental cue mm-hmm. that something's happening. Yes. It's like in those old, in the radio programs where, you know, you could walk around the house and do your things, but as soon as you heard the little dramatics thing, you knew you were about to hear an important part. That's kind of what this video does on TikTok. I think most people think of TikTok as an app that helps up and coming artists like Olivia Rodrigo or like Doja Cat or Megan Thee Stallion, but it really floats a lot of older songs like up to the top of the charts like this one hopelessly devoted to you by our queen olivia newton john and also dreams by fleetwood mac which all have their moment in the sun because someone on tiktok has found the perfect section to stick under a video wow that is amazing but it it also helps me understand a little bit why like by the time something gets to me by the time something has been on TikTok and then has been imitated <laughs> by like four different people and then it ends up in my Instagram reels being imitated by like a white suburban mom with too much time on her hands. <laughs> that Like that's how it gets to me. That, that it's gone through like multiple iterations. Mm-hmm. It's like the scene in Devil Wears Prada where Andy is talking about her, how her sweater is like... Yes! A tr- yes, exactly. <laughs> it's the cerulean belt it's the of the cerulean internet. It's the cerulean belt, exactly, yes. <laughs> I'm Miranda Priestley is what I'm hearing. <laughs> you, I mean, wow. Wow, yeah. I quit, I throw my phone in the fountain, goodbye. <laughs> wow, if we're both in Paris throwing our phones in the fountain, I'm here for it, honestly. <laughs> that was, I love that. If you have any other questions like that, I'm always here to answer them for you. <laughs> Why do people do this? Oh. I, why do they do the thing where they, like, pound, pound, clap? It, like, things I used to do in a schoolyard that look like the hand jive dance. Why is that on the internet? 
over the camera, Lizzie is doing like, yeah, like the fist pounding on each other and then like the hands like sliding over them and then like over the shoulder, which does look like the hand jive song from my references, Grease. My (laughs) general thought is that most people on TikTok can't actually dance. And this has been most recently proven to me by the Cuff It Challenge, which is a Beyonce song from her most recent album, Renaissance, and has this dance that requires a coordinated movement of your hips and legs, which is really the hardest part of dancing for a lot of people. Upper arm movements are actually pretty easy to get. And so what happens is that when creators are making dances that they want to go viral on TikTok, they will add in the most simple movements possible so that it can go viral. Like dances by actual choreographers rarely go viral because they're technically challenging. But when you add in some little hand motions, like a little like shoulder shimmy, if you don't do too much with your legs, basically, then you can usually make like a viral dance. That's amazing. So this is basically, yet again, it is the easy on-ramp version for like Lizzie O'Leary, you two can do this dance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. All right. Unfortunately, that's all the time that we have. I'm so glad that you came on this show, Lizzie. This was so much fun. (laughs) Me too. It was so much fun. I learned a lot too. The Shangri-Las. Wow. I learned a lot. Amazing. (laughs) Yes. Well, I'm sure you'll be back on the show teaching me a lot. And I am glad to be on your show to teach you anything. So (laughs) I'm glad we had our the crossover event of the century. (laughs) Me too. Thank you, Rachel. (laughs) Thanks, Lizzie. All right, that is the show. We'll be back in your feed on Saturday, so please subscribe. It's the best way to never miss an episode, to never miss Lizzie explaining something to me that I don't understand. Please leave a rating and review in Apple or Spotify. Tell your friends about us. Tell your less online friends about us. Tell your tech reporter friends about us so they can explain things to me. You can also follow us on Twitter at ICIMindPod, which is where you can DM us your questions like, is TikTok listening to me? The answer is apparently no. And you can also always drop us in at ICYMI at Slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Ayana Angel, Daniel Schrader, and Rachel Hampton. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's vice president of audio. See you online. Or not. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. 
all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. 